0: This is We Can't Call It The Enterprise, a podcast not about Star Trek. I'm Valerie.
1: And I'm Scott.
0: So, really fun episode this week. It was a lot better, in my opinion, than the pilot.
1: Yeah, I thought so. I think, uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely less cheesy. I think part of it is just because there were no... You know Egyptian costumes I think that was like a large part of it.
0: (laughs) It was very effective storytelling it was very moving like they did they did one thing and they did it very well.
1: Yeah I kind of agree with that I think uh, Kowalski in particular did a pretty good job displaying fear uh, which I think we all would have been pretty scared under those conditions especially because at this point We really don't understand the rules of, like, the Gould possession, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I thought, uh, yeah, I kind of agree.
0: So we get a pretty, pretty fun opening. It made me think a little bit of Battlestar Galactica, where they're talking about, like, getting their first coordinates out of the computer and being ready to go on a mission, and then the gate dials up.
1: to keep up these attacks. Well, they can't keep this up forever. Can they?
0: And they're just like, okay, set the self-destruct device, like let's get everybody in, shut the iris, wait for some impacts, go back down to Yale alert afterwards. And we find out that that keeps happening at like a very regular cadence ever since they got back.
1: Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty funny also. They're kind of all arguing about where to go next. Um, and then there's, like, this whole process of, uh, like, things that need to happen whenever the gate dials. And it kind of made me wonder, though, because the auto-destruct was set for three minutes. And it's like, has a has a Gould attack seriously always gone on for less than three minutes up until now?
0: I guess so. I mean, they they can probably always, like, extend and change the timer.
1: Yeah, I guess. It's like hitting the snooze button on the nuclear bomb in the base, but that was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought uh, I thought that was interesting, but it's kind of like, it's funny because after watching the series for so long, like towards the end there, they just totally, it's like the gate dials and nobody even cares. It's like, but at this point it's still like a major threat every time it happens. and They have to send the uh, radiation team and everything.
0: I felt that was really cool and realistic, like, if memory serves, they also get bitten a couple times later in the series where they're not as cautious.
1: Yeah, actually that does happen.
0: One thing that jumped out to me as like a weird discrepancy is the way that the iris was bouncing, though. Like, it, it looked very cool, but if specifically the purpose is that nothing can materialize, like, it should be experiencing no pressure.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was... Uh... I mean, yeah, they definitely had some, like, kind of... It was almost like they were trying to show explosions um, going on behind the iris, and I thought they did a pretty good job of that. Um, But yeah, I don't think I noticed the bouncing, but yeah, I do remember a couple of bright flashes. It
0: mostly jumped out at me because they were basically explaining while the visual was going on how the iris worked. Pure titanium, less than 3 micrometers from the event horizon. It won't even allow matter to fully reintegrate
1: yeah 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 so anyway um yeah the gould attack ends so we end up with uh kowalski having a headache uh so that's not good news and then i think actually i think at some point in the middle of kowalski having a headache actually no i think it happens again like the gould attack and then uh carter you know o'neill was like so this thing's gonna hold right I think that's what you were getting at with, um, like the they're kind of explaining how the iris app uh, works. Like Carter, Carter drops some techno babble.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was going to bring that up.
1: Yeah, and then, and then she kind of says, and then O'Neil's like, well, "Okay, I didn't get that. It, this thing is get, this is going to work though, right? Like, there's yes or no." And she's like, "Well, if it doesn't, we're all going to blow up anyway, so whatever." <laughs> that, doesn't re- that doesn't really reassure anyone. Um, but I don't know, I thought that was kind of amusing.
0: Yeah, so meanwhile, Jack checks in on Tilk, who's more or less a prisoner right now. His review, or, or sorry, his request to uh, join SG-1 is looking like it's not going to happen. And because he's an enemy combatant who could probably turn on them at any time, he's not really being trusted by anyone other than Jack. I found it really cool that Jack like immediately formed such a bond and trusted him so much. Like it, it makes sense, but it's very fun because a lot of the, all of the storytelling to this point is kind of grim, honestly.
1: Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought the questions about Teal'c's loyalty was uh, pretty valid, but um, you know, yeah, O'Neill has like a pretty frank conversation with Teal, and I thought I don't know it's got like the characteristic Jack like honesty and sincerity I thought it was pretty um, I don't know I thought he put it in like very plain and simple terms it's like we all know that he you know that's in his nature and uh, I don't know I thought it was like a pretty nice conversation and it had some of the Teal deadpan just kind of like I don't know how he's so cool like I don't know how he is keeping such a cool head, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know if you were if you were O'Neill in this circumstance, would you totally like would you trust Teal to the level that Jack does? Because I'm not sure that I would.
0: I would probably trust him to like ninety percent of that. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'd want him watching my back yet, but he did he did a pretty big thing. But I would definitely be worried that he is not legit. That, yeah. that said, from what we know of the Gould, like, pretty, pretty big plot there. But, I mean, I guess, like, all he really did is killed some Jaffa, which are pretty expendable. And so I guess yeah. I, I guess I'd take that back. It's, like, still very plausible that this was a plot to get someone on the inside.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I would... I'm almost more on the side of, like, Hammond and everyone at this point, or I would be, but although Teal'c is, like, one of my favorite characters, so... Uh, probably my favorite character, yeah. But anyway, I thought, I don't know, I just thought that it was very, like... I don't know, but I guess I guess Jack has the, uh... He's more instinctual, so he's kind of going on his instinct of Teal'c or whatever, and I guess that ends up being correct or true so anyway uh so yeah so then we skip to uh the doctor scene so kowalski's in front of the nerdy doctor and he's like well i have a headache and the doctor's like oh well this could be a reaction to gate travel it's kind of funny because it's like oh well a simple headache could be a really big deal
0: uh, I mean, it's a legit it is, question.
1: Yeah, it is a legit question, and, and it's just funny. It's just like how every little thing is taken so seriously um, mm-hmm. at this point in the series still, and it still kind of makes sense uh, that that's the case, but um, yeah. Uh, so
0: that checkout goes about as badly as an appointment can go. Because the doctor notices something funny on his back, then you immediately see something moving around under his skin, the eye glow, and he attacks the doctor. So Kowalski is now a ghoul. Old.
1: Yeah, he is. Yeah, I guess he is now ghoul. Old. Like I was kind of thinking, like the ghoul has to be, like he always picks the most, like the most inopportune moments to be evil. In this case, I don't know. I why wouldn't he have just chilled out and like allowed some question marks to form and not given himself away here.
0: Yeah, cuz like as soon as as soon as the larva moves, then it's game over, but up until that point, like you're probably not getting away, but you're possibly getting away. I guess like the Google's just really wanted to have the advantage of surprise. But yeah, you really start a ticking clock as soon as you do that.
1: Yeah, so I don't know, but yeah, I mean, he ends up killing the doctor, I guess, and then uh, yeah, we have a Kowalski blackout, and we kind of skip to um, Daniel explaining how the gate system essentially works like a rotary phone, which is I kind of I kind of feel like in the writers' room of of Stargate or whatever they're like oh well how does the gate work and then somebody was like oh it's like a telephone, and then they just t- they just like chose to explain it to the audience in the exact same way.
0: One thing that I think Stargate does very well is they do a very effective job of like communicating the technobabble and the mechanics to the audience. I think very few shows manage to do it as efficiently without either major head scratchers or taking forever.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's similar to, it's like how Jack can, he's always, I feel like he's like the audience's, uh,
0: audience's surrogate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We see the world through his eyes almost, and he simplifies things for us. Um, although I guess in this case it's Daniel basically saying, yeah, no, it's it's a phone, guys. Look, it's a phone, except it's a phone that takes you to other planets. Um, so I thought that was kind of nice. And then we see Kowalski in the gate room, uh, and he's blacked out, and we're all kind of left with a bunch of question marks.
0: Yeah, so he's being weird right in front of the Stargate, and they... Like, he's not, he's not even doing much, but immediately it just gets everyone's attention that there's something that's not quite right but they go to see him and he doesn't really remember why he got there or what he's doing.
1: Yep. And then they, so they drag him back down to the infirmary and he sits down there again with a different doctor and it's like, all right, Kowalski, what the heck is wrong? Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, no, it's just a headache. Like same thing. And then, you know, O'Neill has to be the one that's like, no dude, like you were, you were being a fucking weirdo. Like it's, this is not just a headache. Like, why don't you do it an, like and then the other doctor's like, Okay, let's do an MRI. And uh we, we see no outright evilness at this point, luckily, so uh I guess the gould is snoozing up in up in Kowalski's head, just being a snoozer.
0: It's very anxiety inducing as soon as you see the first ILO because like now you know he's just a ticking time bomb that can go off at any point. Like you're just you're just waiting for like something inopportune to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking that this might be one of those moments, but then, but then it isn't. Uh, yeah, let me let me kind of skip to uh, Colonel Kennedy with like uh, <laughs> yeah, so a. Yeah, so Colonel
0: Kennedy is our bad suit of the
1: week. Yep. Yes, bad suit of the week. I like that. There's uh, there's always one of those. They're always very obvious. They're always the only. There's always only one of them, and he walks in with a video camera and uh, starts asking Teal questions about how Gould technology works. And Teal says that it's Gould magic. And O'Neill comes up and says, uh, "It's not you know, it's not magic. it's just it's just technology. you know they want you to think it's magic. So and I think that's kind of a reoccurring it's like part of the reoccurring themes or motifs of Stargate, which is like, uh, you know, pow- essentially power corrupts, which is basically like Gould like, are partially corrupted by their technology, which they, you know, which gives them power, and they kind of lord it over everyone as though it's magic. Um, and the, you know, the reason that, you know, the kind of the humans or the ancient humans that have been seeded across the galaxy, as it's put, uh, are not powerful is because they don't have the same technology.
0: They get into, They get into the corruption stuff more later. It's also like a somewhat hand-waved effect of using the sarcophagus.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, that, that does end up getting expanded on later, but I think this is really the beginning of that, where it's kind of like, well, the technology makes the powerful and power correct. Yeah, and then, you know, Teal has kind of a realization with one of his amazingly good faces that he's actually in the Tauri, or the first world where this form first evolved.
0: Yeah, he tells the story about how all humans came from like a singular planet where they actually evolved from and were then exported everywhere else and he gets told that humans had actually evolved there and they weren't from anywhere else
1: yeah and uh it's also how we learned that uh this is basically how they explain ah yes well we don't need to do expensive makeup because the aliens are actually just humans so now (laughs) instead of like now we just have to pay for dressing them up funny uh, instead of, you know, doing the whole makeup thing for eight hours and, and everything. So that, uh, that was a nice, clean explanation of that.
0: Teal'c also drops a few bombs in that scene. So he explains more about how the go world work, because, like, being the, being the military, they immediately go to, like, okay, who do we who do we bargain with? Who do we fight? And Teal'c more explains that the go World are more, like, families and alliances without any kind of like centralized government or leader they can really strike a bargain with. And he explains that they're basically just like passing through conquerors and they will completely use up and leave worlds helpless once they've gotten whatever they want. Yeah. He also drops the uh, biggest bombshell, which is that it would take probably a matter of months for ships to reach Earth. So while it's not imminent, it's definitely something that is highly plausible. And if memory serves, that's actually the finale.
1: Yep. So, yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's some pretty good foreshadowing right there, that uh, we will get, you know, the old ship invasion of Earth scene later on. Yeah, but O'Neill says kind of, well, we're not that annoying yet. You know, they wouldn't want to raise a whole army to come over here.
0: Did you notice when O'Neill entered, he just, like, is hanging out in the stairwell and walks up? Like, what kind of open-air conference room is uh, that?
1: Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Well, do you think they have... I mean, everyone on the base would have to have crazy security clearance.
0: Well, if memory serves with that layout, that's just, like, a stairwell into the, like, gate room area. Uh, yeah. Like, it's not that civilians will wander in there, but, like, anyone on the base can just wander into what is an exceptionally classified meeting.
1: Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. And, yeah, I mean, I bet people in the gate room can hear what's going on up there, so they can hear general hammond arguing with colonel o'neill
0: yeah not a lot of secrets
1: yeah there you go well i don't know i feel like everyone has so much they all have to have like the craziest the crazy maximum security clearance to even be in there but yeah that would totally be that'd be funny they can all overhear general hammond having a conversation with his grandchildren (laughs) in the in the gate room like walter is just like walter is just like Sitting there browsing Reddit or whatever the '90s version of Reddit would be, like FunnyJunk.com, <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he can hear General Hammond just like fully yelling at O'Neill because he disobeyed orders for something, <laughs> pretending not to hear.
0: <laughs> I was thinking about Walter earlier. I feel like Walter is kind of the like more t- more two dimensional O'Brien of the series. He's he's the guy who's like just kind of always in the background. He gets like two lines and he's doing a job that like no one is quite sure why it's a job.
1: Yeah, but I, I totally get why O'Brien. Oh, yeah, I guess like O'Brien. See, I went to Deep Space Nine O'Brien.
0: O'Brien's thing was like he stood in the room and he hit the button.
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah, Transporter Room O'Brien is actually, yeah, exactly like Walter, I would say. Yeah.
0: The, the only difference is that O'Brien, like, would have some real zinger lines from time to time, whereas Walter, at least if memory serves, doesn't have any, but I might be wrong.
1: No, there's a, there's kind of a whole episode dedicated to Walter somewhere down the line, if I remember correctly. I think at that point, though, Walter's completely lost all of his hair, and at this point he still has some. I just kind of imagined Walter, yeah, you're right, he is like the everyman of the, of the SGC, where he just kind of presses the iris button and what and, and also looks at funnyjunk.com uh, <laughs> unless like is there like is there a better version of 90s like pop culture source like what was it myspace
0: um i mean like yeah that myspace
1: e <laughs> world e world that's right yeah that might watch, be 2000s like... actually <laughs> actually yeah we're probably still yeah we're still too early for all this i don't know oh man the early days of the internet yeah so anyway that's uh that's the life of walter listening to general hammond's personal conversations and uh like i just feel like (laughs) like o'neill comes down from a meeting with general hammond and like walter just kind of like turns around and kind of like makes awkward eye contact with o'neill and like pretends to not have heard everything (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> Yep. Walter, like the most informed man on the base. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, so then uh, then we kinda switch to Daniel. Daniel having a hallway conversation with Carter about how tired he is, how disturbed he is by his wife getting kidnapped decides to go to bed in a bunk bed, and you would think that he would have been given a more important room by now, but he just kind of wanders into essentially a shoebox uh, and uh, goes to sleep.
0: <laughs> something about the lighting of that room just, like, spelled bad news. Like, you immediately know that he's going to get jumped or something.
1: Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Nobody, like, there's no no rooms even on top secret military bases are like that.
0: You, you don't walk into a dark room that's framed like that, where it's just like a silhouette of a human going into the dark space and have good things happen.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's just a big no-no in terms of narrative. So, anyway, Daniel uh, decides to go to bed on Bottom Bunk. And then there's a bloody, uh, hand dripping blood, and uh, he goes in and turns the lights on and sees the doctor from earlier. And it kind of makes me wonder how he got there. Like... How could Kowalski have dragged, like, a dead person all the way from the infirmary to there with nobody noticing, on a military base?
0: Exactly, like, I I almost kind of want the scene of, like, Kowalski is discovered, like, mid fest, where he's taken out, like, two guards sequentially that encounter him before he can't drag all the bodies fast enough. Yeah. Because, like, there's, there's so many corridors and there's so many people walking around.
1: Or it turns into, like, like a ghoul, like, putting the doctor in, like, a wheelchair and, like, putting sunglasses on him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, the ghoul just being, like, in his deep voice, like, ah, oh, shit, like, this is gonna be, like, so annoying. And he's, like, uh, wheeling the guy around. See, th- this is why. It's, like, the ghoul's, like, man, I just, I really gotta control my temper here. Like, maybe I should just, like ch- like, take a chill pill here and, like whenever somebody wonders if maybe i'm a gould or like i have a or or you like i have a chance to not demonstrate clearly that i'm a gould that i just like keep it like keep it down a notch so that i don't have to wheel people wearing sunglasses in disguise and it's like oh hey how's doctor you know like how's doctor you know whoever this is and he's like oh oh he's great he just sprained his leg um he's just gonna go to bed now uh Anyway, see ya, like, I, like, how would you, I dunno, that's kinda the scene that I get in my head. You got, like, the badass scene where the ghoul's like, killing people, and I got the, like, you know, <laughs> like, I, like, I dunno, some sort of I don't think scene. that
0: they're calm and tactical enough most of the time to do that, like, you, you know that meme of a person staring at, like, two buttons sweating, where it's usually either a very hard choice or a very obvious choice? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like the Gould are that with <laughs> completely freak out and blow cover versus stay cool.
1: Yeah, everything they do is over the top. It's like rule number one of the Gould. And I guess actually that does come into play later on where they're like, it's like, oh, how are we going to defeat the Gould? It's like, well, we could definitely count on them to be super arrogant and do the most obvious things, So we can just make sure we use that against them. And it works. But yeah, so anyway, I think after this we end up with the, uh, you know, the gray-haired doctor uh, finds the snake in Kowalski's head, and again... Um, See,
0: this is smart because he tries to play it cool.
1: He does try to play it cool, but he also immediately hits the button, and then Kowalski again, like, doesn't play it cool and immediately does the eye glow and um, smacks him around a bit.
0: Yeah, and then he goes He goes on his attack spree of trying to get to the gate, and when that fails, because Sam attacks him in the control room, he tries to take her prisoner. And he's kind of dragging her around, getting just, like, shadowed by a whole bunch of the people with guns, and Jack telling everyone not to shoot.
1: Yeah, uh, and he bangs her up in the elevator, and eventually... You know, by the time they they manage to open the elevator, he is himself again, and he is kind of had a he's kind of blacked out, drunk in like the worst in the worst possible way. What do we get after the elevator? So, Teal kind of flashes. We get like uh, the evil the evil suits of the week, as you put it, and Hammond and I think O'Neill. Yeah. In front of Teal, and he kind of flashes his. His gould he like flashes his larva.
0: Yeah, they um, want to do a check that the uh, larva didn't come from Teal'c.
1: Yep, and it's still there. So they're like, okay, well, there you go. And it's kind of it's kind of like a reminder, like remember we still have trust issues with this Teal'c guy. Um, but I think Teal'c at that point uh, helps them find. He kind of allows them to do some experiments on the ghoul to find a um, anesthetic.
0: Yeah, because they want to try to remove the gold from Kowalski, but they see that it's wound pretty tightly to his nervous system, and they know that it's a very long shot. They then kind of lead into a very creepy meeting with the suit, where the suit's proposing that maybe they should just let the uh, larva take over.
1: Yeah, that scene was kind of ridiculous to me. Like, that kind of thing makes me wonder if anyone's actually, like, that shitty of a person.
0: I mean, well, I think it was a realistic scene. Like, strategically... It makes sense. What the like, hell are you doing? It's a horrible oh. way to think. Like, supposing that we did we did take room. over Emergency and you the, know the host is almost certainly gone. Would you just kill it or would you try to use it as, like, an experimentation model and as, like, something to get the ancestral knowledge of? Because so that was another thing Tilt dropped is that gold inherit memories. So this one isn't just, like, a useless baby, it knows a shit ton of stuff.
1: I guess so, but I think the uh, I think what did it for me is like, and I guess I guess I should be well aware of uh, people behaving this way because um, you know we have had bosses, but um, <laughs> he he kind of starts to explain. He's like, oh well, yes, you see the ethical dilemma of saving the life of an evil alien over the life of one of our own soldiers, and it's kind of like it's just tremendously disrespectful to open with that it's like what kind of an idiot do you think i am it's like the natural response to that whereas he could have just said like yeah look uh this guy has the ancestral knowledge of all the gould and i think that that's worth more than this soldier's life
0: i mean that's Um, that's basically what he said he was just slimy about delivering it
1: yeah so it's like why the slime though like why would anyone bother with the slime but i guess like yeah you and i can both you know answer that question I guess.
0: Hammond had a pretty good take of just what kind of officer are you that really kind of cemented that like he's he's kind of a by-the-books guy but he is our guy. Hammond was meant to be like the the by-the-book stickler who was just kind of like the stick in the mud getting in the way of Jack all the time and that was something that the actor specifically pushed back against. He wanted him to be like more realistic and more fully rounded.
1: Yeah, I liked that too. I thought that this was also where I have it written down here that Hammond displays his brand of leadership, where he basically says, there's a snowball's chance in hell that this guy is going to live, then we're going to do it. And it's just that kind of like the undercurrent of General Hammond as like a military general, like prioritize the lives of your people. Like that's number one. And then number two is being the stick in the mud. Which, uh, which, like, we did get some of that in, the, in this episode, which I loved, because I definitely can relate to Jack when he's just being extremely sarcastic and the General's like, Colonel O'Neill, that's enough. Like, just being, like, uh, just, like, a bit of a check on, uh, on Colonel O'Neill's attitude, which, you know, I definitely identify more with Colonel O'Neill in those instances, but I kind of <laughs> found those interactions to be quite amusing.
0: Yeah, so they then decide to undergo the surgery because they have enough information to properly sedate the Old. So they have like an actual proper operating theater, which is a really co- really cool stage, in my opinion, where they're going through the process. So they have a bit of a speech of Kowalski before he goes under anesthetic, where he says that he wants to wake up as himself, or he doesn't want to wake up at all.
1: Yeah, they actually get a lot of use out of that um, set or whatever. That comes into play many times uh, over the course of the series. So
0: I'm curious as to like if that was something they built themselves or if it was some other set that they were using. Because, yeah, they do use like the medbay type... What do they call it? Um, the infirmary? Yeah. Different rooms quite a bit.
1: Yeah, they do. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, the surgery is going super well we kind of have like an oh well this is easy attitude
0: yeah they keep commenting on how well it's going
1: yeah and i kind of (laughs) i don't know if you saw this but when they finally pull the gould out of the head did you see the look on the doctor's face like right behind the symbiote i don't know if you saw it but it was it was priceless um that was like the best some of the best background acting i've ever seen because like it's one of those things where like uh, an actor has like the smallest part ever, but they totally kill their tiny little fraction of.
0: <laughs> oh, I did. I didn't notice the deep background face. I was just looking at like the weird faces that the actual doctor was making. What was the deep background guy doing? Uh,
1: I don't know. I it was just like basically a look of like disgust and horror. But I think I I just thought it was uh I don't know. I think in acting it's like uh. It's easy to do start doing like line counting in these kind of things and be like oh well i have 36 lines in this episode so i'm this important but then all of a sudden if you're like because this guy whoever he was had zero lines he was like one of five people in the surgery bay but he he like took his role really seriously and actually killed it um with one facial expression and half of his face was covered with a mask So I thought he did a really good job. He was actually probably either my favorite guy in the episode or my second favorite guy. um, Because he just killed it so hard with that face. So subtle. But like, (laughs) yeah, because I think everyone's supposed to be looking at the symbiote. But if you look at his face, it's like, yeah.
0: It's always really fun when you get like the deep background acting. And I guess... I've kind of noticed a trend of like the more prominent something is in the scene, the more likely you are to have stuff like that. It just kind of like slips by the director's notice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what, like what into like, what in like normal life would, uh, uh, show like, you know, inspire that kind of look on someone's face. And I can't really, it would be something horribly disgusting. I'm sure. Anyway, so then they uh, then they kind of show off the symbiote proudly. They're like, "Hey, we did it. We uh, we got this uh, snake thing out of this guy's head, uh, and he seems to be alive." So, good job to us.
0: Yeah, and Kowalski then wakes up with Jack, and he's like, "Totally fine. It's it's all good. There's no problems." So it's been way too easy. Yeah. So back at the General's office, Kennedy leaves, and the General again, like, really shows us which side is is buttered on.
1: Yeah, so Kennedy and Hammond are giving each other very serious looks, and it's all very dramatic in terms of, like, who can big dog who the most. Uh, And Hammond plays the president card, um, which he does so often uh, in the series. But uh, this is kind of the first time we see that happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And it ends up winning, as he pretty much always does. Yeah, and then we, uh, of course, you know, Kowalski gets... Uh, and then we kind of see Kowalski ask to see Teal alone. And again, again, it's like the Ghoul decides to be evil. Because um, we, we find out that the Gould is still very much alive in Kowalski's head. And he's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it's like, why would you do this like you're just being it's like you're being evil for the sake of being evil I just I don't get it like why wouldn't he like get all the way to the gate room at least and then
0: it's the whole button situation like he's he's completely gotten away with it everybody believes that he is back to normal like the googled can clearly access his memories and clearly can like act Kowalski properly so he's under no threat yet he does that with Tilk
1: yeah I don't know I just thought that was kind of Uh, ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because he's an infant gould. He's just like an impetuous... He's like the impetuous child of the gould. Can you imagine? Like, raising a gould... Raising a gould child, like, human children are bad enough, but gould children would be... That's a next
0: level to American kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's... Yeah, that's definitely the attitude we see with uh, Mr... Mr. Gould Man, um, or Gould Boy, uh, in Kowalski.
0: But they're all like that, though.
1: They are. Well, they are all like that, but yeah, I just can't get over how it's like, at least get to the gate room before you start being so evil, but yeah, I don't know. He
0: does, he does do the whole run for the gate room. He succeeds in dialing this time, and he's, he steps into the room, and then there's Teal'c again, blocking him.
1: Oh man, did you see the epic battle stance from Teal'c? Yup. Yeah. Oh, that was uh that was pretty unreal. This was before Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? He literally says you shall not pass in that stance. Yeah, I was uh this was definitely before Lord of the Rings though, yeah. It's the OG. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty uh pretty cool.
0: They had a pretty good fight in the gate room. It really like drives home for me that this is this is not your Star Trek fighting.
1: Yeah, and then we definitely... This is also a chance for Teal to prove uh, to prove himself, so I think that's kind of why it was Teal and not somebody else, like from a writing standpoint. And then mm-hmm. did you see... I thought it was interesting. We get another Walter moment here. Did you see again in the background, Walter was like... <laughs> it's kind of like... It, it's like when a kid loses a tooth and then he starts limping. Like he's just... Walter is <laughs> like... Walter is, like, holding his elbow and, like, rocking back and forth, wincing. And it's, like, (laughs) it definitely appears that he has I saw he was being
0: really dramatic later on.
1: Yeah, it looked like he had a Um, (laughs) (laughs) boo-boo. And it's, again, like, something that's, like, going on in the background. Like, you weren't supposed to be focusing on that. But if you were, like, it was hilarious. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Uh, so yeah, Walter has boo-boo, um, (laughs) and then somebody, I don't remember who, because I was focused on Walter at this point, but somebody, (laughs) somebody shut down, somebody shut down the gate on, uh, Kowalski's head, and then that last piece of Gould fell out.
0: I think it was actually, it was actually Jack who made the call, I think, definitely is a fairly emotional thing.
1: Yeah, because they did have that bromance going on, that, uh... And, and you know, Jack is thinking, you know, well, I do get a stereo out of this uh, if we <laughs> close the gate on Kowalski's head. But, yeah, that, uh, the Gould so, yeah, the ghoul the falls out of the head, and then they just kind of walk away. Um,
0: yeah, they go and they go and they check him out, and Jack is kind of sad for a second, and then he goes, my friend died already, like, I don't really have anything to grieve about right now.
1: Yeah, um, which, you know, I guess is fair enough. But yeah, I I guess we get we then get a cut with Hammond schmoozing on the phone with the president, which again I think that Hammond almost like halfway through the episode changed persona to what he would be for the rest of the series, and it's definitely something I like. Mm-hmm.
0: What I really want to know though is like how different the series would be if Hammond didn't have such a chummy relationship with like the president and a couple higher ups, because so so often he gets to overrule shit or make ridiculous calls or at least, like, have a very, very high amount of autonomy that just is insane
1: from a realism standpoint. Yeah, I think... uh, Well, I think the fact that Hammond does have the... It's, like, the answer to whatever there's the bad suit of the week storylines, which there always are in Hammond. That's always, like, the Hammond battle. Because, you know, O'Neill and Sam and everyone are, are, like, fighting the aliens on another planet but hammond is always fighting the bad student week and he always has to be able to call the president because they can't spend too much time on that so i almost think that that's like the uh that's like the way that we get those stories and some of the characterization of hammond um but i also think it's like the only way you become general of that kind of a place is if you're a reasonably good politician
0: well if if memory serves correctly, like he had he had the posting before the show started, and then just like he he had basically the easy retirement posting and then just shit pops off under his nose,
1: yeah actually that's a that is actually yeah, so that's a good point, so he did have he was like running out the clock at that place, but mm-hmm. even then it still would have been one of the most
0: the fact that he kept his position
1: it would have been one of the most uh secret jobs in the whole air like military so he's still
0: it's like how cisco managed to keep his position when he went from like backwater to like sitting on a wormhole
1: yeah that's true although i think that that's even less plausible with cisco um because he literally he was straight up with uh picard he's like yo i don't like you i don't want to be here i want to focus on raising my kid back on earth like but, I mean, and we didn't get anything like that with Hammond. So, I don't know. And he is chummy with the president. So, there's that.
0: Yeah, we get a montage of a couple of things happening pretty quickly in the closing there. Because we also have, like, another one of those little Daniel scenes of, like, drumming in again, like, hey, this guy knew how to dial up and set up the uh, self destruct code. So, clearly, something of the host survives.
1: Yeah, so there's, like, the, the smallest glimmer of hope. Um, from Daniel which definitely seems a bit like if I was Daniel at that point I would not be optimistic at all
0: I feel like, I feel like I would be if I was in that position because what's what's the alternative like you there's this kind of psychological impact of making it a decision of how to act or how to view the world where you feel like you can control what's actually going to happen with the way that you kind of budget things. For example, like, if you're trying to time manage, there's, like, a very common psychological phenomenon where you try to cram too much stuff in because you feel like you can do whatever you decide that you're going to do. And if you, like, try to be too realistic, then you're just going to, like, cut yourself off arbitrarily. Like, he can't can't give up because, like, if he gives up, then he's not going to be going after her.
1: I think... If I was Daniel at this point, I would definitely. It would not. It would be more about uh, vengeance than anything else for me. I think. Mm. I would just want to go out and, and like. Kill as many of them as possible and make them really sorry for you know basically being alive. Uh, and that would be good enough for me. That would be enough to get me through the gate. Um, you know, find the people that did this to the people I love and make them pay. So, but instead, he chooses Hope. And I think that is definitely Daniel's character. It's just not what I would have chosen.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's definitely like a very character-fitting choice. I guess it's a very character-defining choice at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. It tells us a lot about how Daniel's going to be, and what kind of character he's going to be for, well, at least the next four seasons. Or five, or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's on for... Uh... The first five, and then he's off for one, then he's back.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought uh, I don't know. I thought it was definitely a bit of a stretch that he chose hope. But it's like you said, in in I guess in his head he has to choose hope. Though um, I don't know. I guess everybody has their reasons. Mine would be vengeance at that point.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that going either way. So we. We've incremented our um, list of Star Trek episode names count because the enemy within was a Star Trek episode, and the gang did not get captured this time, so that count stays the same.
1: Yes, there you go. So uh, the gang still did get captured. Um, What else do we have to do? we got to do who is your favorite guy?
0: Oh, yeah. um, Mine is definitely Jack for just how well he handled a lot of the shit that was going on.
1: <laughs> he did seem oddly chill throughout this whole thing.
0: He always seems a little bit too chill for the situation, but that's often something that works in his advantage because he's a bit more level-headed. Yep. And your guy was the uh, deep background. In it was certainly... either
1: him or it was Walter for, like, his uh, wounded weeness. <laughs> 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 it was it was definitely one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> you you seriously you have to go back to that and like look at how it was like a Peter it was like a Peter Griffin like ah, <laughs> ah it was like almost that. Like I think it's got to be Walter for that. Like and the thing is these are two like th- there's th- things that are totally going on in the background that you're not supposed to be paying attention to but
0: I've, I've actually brought up the episode to scrub through after we finish talking to fun. Yeah, out. he
1: is just, like, yeah. And he's holding, it's, like, the part of his body that he's holding, and it's, like, dude, like, I have, it's, like, I've hit my funny bone on things before, and, like, it sucks, but, like, you know, if there's, like, an epic duel going on in the gate room, I could definitely focus on that instead of my Weenus. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that was, I would say Walter was my guy, um, but, um, yeah, and then, uh, and then I think we have to do, what else do we have to do? Yeah, did you like this episode?
0: I really enjoyed it. It gets, like, technically if we're getting super granular, it wouldn't be, like, 100% rating, but definitely, like, five out of five stars from me. I thought that it really effectively managed to get into, like, the, does the host survive question. And answering it a chunk, but not like unrealistically closing that case. And it's also like a very powerful.
1: Yeah, and I thought that there was a lot of good characterization that happened, especially with General Hammond. Um, I think that this is where we start, we see the big, uh, I care about human lives number one um, aspect of General Hammond that I think is the reason that he's like pretty universally loved. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I thought this was a good episode, too. There was only some minor cheesiness with uh, Kowalski given doing some crazy-eye stuff, but, you know, it's classic Gould. Yep,
0: yeah, classic Gould.
1: So, we got Emancipation coming up, Season 1, Episode 4. Do you remember that episode?
0: <laughs> Not at all. Do you remember anything about
1: I it? do. Um and i remember most of the time when i start rewatching stargate like the two or three times that i've done that i skip this episode which i i will not propose that we do in this case but i definitely do not like this episode at all hmm. um yeah we basically it's going to be it's like that mongolian episode where they're they're like a bunch of sexist Mongolians. It's like a sex... Oh, shit.
0: Oh, shit, I remember this one now. Yeah,
1: do you remember how you felt about it the first go-round?
0: I'm pretty sure I hated it. Yeah,
1: I... Yeah, this is definitely not gonna be a pleasant watch for me. Um,
0: Well, maybe, maybe next time I'll get a drink again.
1: Yeah, maybe next time we should just get very drunk (laughs) <laughs> in order to uh
0: getting into that already.
1: Yeah, but I can see that the episode after this is the broken divide, which is one of my favorite hours of television ever. So it's like we get through this emancipation bit and then we get to some of the most fun ever.
0: Well, there's gotta definitely be some up and downs in the next Yeah there weeks. are.
1: Emancipation is definitely gonna be a down. Oh, it's bad.
0: I wanted to get uh, your opinion on the naming thing. Because other than like my one crackpot idea, we don't have much yet.
1: I think that's a great idea. It's a quote from Stargate, and I mean this whole thing is based on how inspired we are by Ben and Adam. So I think it's perfect.
0: Yeah, I was I was just lying in bed drifting off, like not quite with it. It's like, okay, what do we what do we need for a name? It has to specifically be a Stargatey thing. It has to show that we're not taking this seriously. And it should be like something that's very us, uh, or like potentially a bit Star Trekky as well, and just like that bit of that bit of shit talking came back to me.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know. I think that's what we should name it. There's like no doubt in my mind that that is.
0: If if you're definitely when, on board with that, then when, I'm when when I with saw
1: that. it, I was like, yeah, that's it. I didn't even. There's no like. Well, maybe this or like there was none of that. It's like that's what it is.
0: Alright, we found it. Yeah,
1: anyway, we still need to find,
0: uh... I'll be interested to see what makes the comment. Yeah, I think
1: I'm going to leave the peeing story in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you remove it, you should still leave that comment. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the uh, Montreal story pops up, but... I can't believe that I've never told you that story. I think I told Grace about this on our second date. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's what she knew. Just, <laughs> just just to make
0: sure she entirely knows. What she's getting
1: into <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted her to think I was interesting.
0: <laughs> I. That is that is uh, an easy task. To get.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. There you go. I mean, we are <laughs> making a podcast about Stargate.
0: All right. So, do you wanna do you wanna call it? Uh, yeah.
1: I think that's good. I'm gonna turn the recording okay. off now.
0: So this has been. Uh, we can't call it the Enterprise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
0: We'll come up with a better zinger at some point. I'm sure.